The day after we'd recorded the pod, I was taking the boys to school as normal. It was very early in the morning. I wasn't very awake at this point. Got to the playground where you have to wait in a line, which my two aren't very good at standing in a line. And a dad came up to me and I've met him two or three times. And he just said, can I ask you a question about sport? Immediately I'm thinking, oh, what's it going to be? It's 8.30 in the morning. I was like, this is a big field we're discussing here. And I said, of course you can. And he said, Coco Goff. Ah. To which point I started smiling because it followed on from just the day before us having this conversation and about how big she's getting, how young she is. And here is, admittedly, he's a guy that likes his sport, but there's a dad in a kid's playground at a primary school saying, Coco, he just went, Coco Goff. Your thoughts? Yeah, I had a similar thing, um, less about Coco Golf like right now, but it was actually this week. We were talking about um, viewing figures at certain matches uh, in Grand Slams uh, and the point that was raised by a friend of mine, again, who's kind of, you know, they're a general sports fan, but not a super duper tennis fan, was like, well, I mean, Goff's match must have had the m- most viewers bar um the men's final or, or whatever and that was so it was a similar sort of reference and again I was just kind of like oh wow okay you know about Coco fair enough but what would, what did you say well my immediate answer was going to say well if you subscribe and download to our podcast <laughs> I was going to go into sort of a sales pitch oh good <laughs> but I thought I don't know him that well let's let's leave the sales pitch so I sort of repeated the discussion that we had giving both sides but leaning towards it might not have been the best thing in the world to win that title because now things go to that different level. And then another mother, didn't know this other mother, came in and said, you're talking about Coco Golf," And I was like, yes, we are quite surreally at this time of the morning in this playground. So she started talking about examples of young sports men and women where it's been detrimental to have success at young age and we started you know there's other groups of mothers talking about you know what children had for breakfast getting them here what's going on and within this little cluster talking about Coco Goff and I just think it's incredible the effect that she's having at that age for it to be a discussion point so I sort of said well Naomi who I I do this podcast with and I put both sides and they just nodded sagely and then a whistle went and when the whistle goes it's quite military style Everyone stands to attention. The children run off at about 100 miles an hour. And that was the end of the conversation. But it was just, it was just quite weird following on from the podcast. But look, it's, we're going to hear so much more about Coco Goff. I just hope now that there's a little bit of downtime when she can just go back to being as normal as she can be with everything that's happened. I mean, that's going to be the big question. Well, what's interesting is that she's already transcending the sport. Like these people are not super tennis fans and they know about Coco Goff and they actually, they do know, they know what she's been doing and how old she is and, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, you can only think that for the good of the sport, it's a great thing because you can count on one hand really how many players actually manage to do that. In terms of women's tennis, you've got Serena and Sharapova are the and Venus, sorry, are the only three I think who have successfully transcended the sport that people who don't watch tennis all year round are interested in what any of those people are doing and seems like Coco's going to be the same way and you know what I know that all of those three are phenomenal champions and of course Serena winning as much as she won you would think that she'd transcend the sport anyway even if she wasn't the kind of 
didn't have the story and the personality and didn't have the whole kind of William sister thing going on. Even if she just won 23 grand slams, you think surely, surely people are going to care about this, right? <laughs> but I don't think you have to. I mean, you think Sharapova, yes, okay, she's won a lot of grand slams, but it's not of the same level. And she managed to transcend the sport because she won a slam at 17. And because of the marketing that came with that, she became this absolute superstar. I think... Coco's in line to do the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, we talked last time about whether it's good or not. I'm not going to go back into that. But in terms of from tennis's perspective, they must be quite conflicted because they are a business. The the, the WTA is a business and they have an incredibly good track record in recent times of looking after their players. But ultimately, players are products. That's what they sell. And you have to tread that balance incredibly carefully. And I and what is so exciting is that the WTA have people in place. They have a team in place. They have people in place that do that sort of thing. And they are there for the players. Um, and historically, they didn't didn't have that before, which is where they got into a lot of trouble. But it's still going to be tough. The WTA will want her to play. If she's transcending the sport already and she is going to be selling more tickets than players ranked higher than her then all the tournaments are going to want her. They, you know, it, it, it suddenly is going to become very, very tricky. And this is why I was saying it's too early and there's no need for it because she could do it in two years' time and it's fine. But this is the situation. So it's interesting to see how it's going to go. I'd be fascinated to be a fly on the wall with all the conversations. Ooh, can you imagine the conversations? That take? Have you noticed the mug that I'm... I did notice the mug. Snazzy. Wasn't just because we were going to be recording the podcast that I got my t- I think it's the only clean mug left I don't know why it was the only one left in the cupboard <laughs> maybe people are too scared to use it in case it breaks uh, what are you saying it's cheap it's not cheap it's good quality <laughs> well, I should say on the the mug news for certain people who I've contacted all that sounds a bit mysterious all I can say is it's close to becoming a reality is that fair to say? Yeah, well, I can give a more detailed update if you want. Um, they have been ordered. They will be arriving soon. And then, well, then it's on Gigi, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> She's then got to get them out to you. She's got all the addresses. <laughs> so that's nothing to do with me. I've done my bit. So if you don't get them until Christmas, <laughs> you know whose fault it is. <laughs> Love that. Thanks. It's like a really, isn't it? You just handed over the baton, which is a massive box of mugs and say, Go on then, off you go. My little sort of asterisk, if they're not there immediately, is it is half term next week. And it's also the Paris Masters. Uh, It just could not fit anything more into next week if we possibly tried. But I'm going to be on it and I'm going to get it sorted as quickly as possible, I promise. So We could bring the box to Paris Masters and then we could sit there in our gap and kind of box them up. <laughs> you know what? I think it's just better if I do it from here. I think it just I think you're just adding another layer to these poor people's mugs. Can I can I say it was it was very nice to have lunch together last week because a lot of the time oh, good. we meet it's at work where of course we chat. We always chat or we do really, but we're still at work and there's still something we've got to focus on. Here we could sit down with with Sven who probably wasn't as grumpy as normal. Well, I still think he was grumpy, but according to you, he's on good form. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good day. <laughs> Is that a good day? <laughs> he still didn't look that impressed to see me, but it was very nice to us actually because it's, it's at the lunches when I can find out a little bit more about you and two things 
I found out when at one point you had to sign your name and you didn't know how to sign it. Initially, I was like, what is wrong with you? You are an adult. <laughs> but I forgot you've actually got a new name. Oh, you're getting so mean. My word. <laughs> yes. I didn't know how to it was. I had to sign a new name. That that was all. I just realised, actually, that's a lie. I have been to the bank and uh, sorted out my name change. And they said, okay, well, what's your new signature? Go for it. And I said, oh, I haven't thought this through. This is going to be it now for life. And I haven't thought it through. Uh, and then I just wrote N Austin and that's, that's it. <laughs> so you've been really good. You've changed, you've changed everything. Absolutely everything. No, no, that's not true. Um, it's a bit of a faff. So I've done bank. Uh, I'm in the process of doing driver's license, but I can't do passport because I'm traveling loads. I've got lots of tournaments to get to between now and the end of the year. So I just got back from Shanghai. Of course, we've got Paris, Milan, London, and then Madrid, Davis Cup. So I know we're both doing kind of the majority of that. So I can't change my passport in the middle of traveling. So I have to wait. So I'm going to try and do it in the off season. But yeah, who knows what the political situation will mean for that. But I will need to get a new passport at some point. Are you going to change your, your media name? Is your radio and television name going to change? <laughs> <laughs> no. And do you know what? what's really annoying is that like I'm not going to change it professionally. But then that means that I'm just one of those people that has kind of a, a performance name. <laughs> stage name You've changed. Were, which is stupid because that's not fair <laughs> no because I haven't chosen a new stage name it's just it's my old name what's the point in changing it imagine if you said that you're commentating alongside Naomi Austin everyone's gonna go who on <laughs> earth is this person and then I, and the worst bit is I'm gonna start talking and people are gonna go yep she's got no idea hate this commentator <laughs> so that's that's a, a serious worry at least with the name Cavaday people can at least look it up and be like oh well she played <laughs> so <laughs> with Naomi Austin they're going to go they've just hired some absolute random all she does is talk about her dog are they going to think that I, I've dumped you on the podcast for another Naomi <laughs> well hopefully our podcast <laughs> listeners are more savvy than that something else I found out about you and I will get back to the tennis is that in your spare time because you have a little bit of spare time <laughs> you, you've taken up uh, what is it is it a hobby is it a pastime is it a, a future life skill <laughs> what is it <laughs> it's just a hobby to do on the road it's just a nice challenge I started a course for drawing, so I draw. What's wrong with that? I don't know. I've got, I had like a, I've got like a little sketchbook thing. It's just plain paper. You were laughing at my sketchbook. It's just a thing of plain paper without lines on it. That's all it is. And I started kind of drawing things. So I drew Sven. That was the picture I showed you, I think. It's a good thing to do on planes. But what level have you gone into on the course? Is it the course when you start and the first off, I don't know, you draw a flower and you put the petals on? Or are you going straight into sort of facial features and what what level have you gone into on this drawing course well I started at the beginner level like the easiest one I could possibly find the first thing was draw an eye a realistic looking eye it's like this is so <laughs> challenging but um no it's very good uh, I'm very much enjoying it I'm taking my time I'm going slowly of course as you should and I'm practicing nah, not every day but uh, I'm practicing and I'm getting better so I've never drawn before in my life the last time I drew anything was probably in year seven when I was 11 years old in art class and I drew something horrendous <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I don't even doodle so I don't really know why I've picked this as my new hobby but I have and it's going all right but don't don't draw me at any point oh I will no I just can just just don't do that now as we know you get bored of things quite quickly it might be someone who's on a a long winning streak to say no names someone who's scooping up all the trophies you're like oh 
quite bored of this. I want someone else to come along. One person you will never get bored of. Who's the one person you will never get bored of in the tennis world? Murray. There we go. Andy, can I just say that I feel like already you've been thinking about this, haven't you? Because I feel like you're just launching stuff at me the whole time. <laughs> it's just, ah, oh, what an amazing week, what amazing tournament. I did one of his matches for the quarterfinals and then I left the semifinals and final to uh, the uh, very capable Nick Lester and uh, Arvin Palmer. And, um, oh, it was amazing. And I watched the final and it was just great, wasn't it? It was emotional. And just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I actually, I, I put a tweet out saying, I, I genuinely, I have no words for it oh, because I, I was that. sat there thinking I should put a tweet out and just be like, I mean, I don't tweet often, but for Andy, I will. And I thought I should just say something. And everything I wrote just sounded so cliche or somebody else had said it or it wasn't really reflecting how I felt. As in the end, I just gave up and I just said there are no words, which is a bit of a cop out, I must admit. But I just, I, I honestly, I kept trying to say something. And it's not that I wanted it to be particularly profound. I just wanted it to be accurate in terms of the influence that he's had on not only my life, but British tennis. And, you know, when he achieves things, I almost feel like proud to be part of British tennis because that's, you know that's what that's what he he's at, at the top of it and yeah and I couldn't do that so I gave up and said there are no words <laughs> it is it's quite incredible I mean that's not a unique word to use it's been said a lot of the time a lot of times over the last few weeks but his seventh tournament back to win the title and to beat Stan Wawrinka it was I mean it was an incredible final for the European Open to have and for him to be doing what he's doing to still have that desire that belief that hunger after everything he's done. It's I, it, its unbelievable. I think next year, he's already said, hasn't he, that probably the schedule will be a little bit lighter because he doesn't feel the ever overplayed in terms of tournaments in his career, maybe at times overtrained, but he's just got to think about things. And after the Davis Cup, it's time just to see how the body reacts. I just like the way that everyone keeps talking about the hip and he's like, hip's fine, it's metal hips not going to hurt elbows a little bit sore and it's all these other little bits but we're not asking about the rest of the body because we're just fixated with the hip and he's even said recently it's been really difficult but hopefully now I can start talking about the future um, and moving forward in the immediate future is baby number three and I like the way he said I need to stay on the road because every time I'm at home for a prolonged period of time another baby Murray comes along yeah that was nice wasn't it um, it's, probably, it's probably pretty true Kim's like leave <laughs> <laughs> go to Asia <laughs> I'm not coming <laughs> but yeah I mean being able to do that with of course um his baby due any minute now really um pretty much number three so I wonder if they'll all be traveling back with him now that he's got this extra bonus chapter in his uh tennis playing life I don't know maybe when uh Kim got pregnant initially she thought oh okay well having three fine Andy will be around it's not a problem and now he's like oh actually <laughs> I'm kind of really good again, but uh -huh, I, it was amazing. I can't believe he's he's won the title. We were thinking actually. Now thinking ahead to Davis Cup, I was thinking we're going to really struggle because Andy was not at his best, of course, and he was our number one. And I just didn't expect him to be playing this well. I didn't even expect him to be playing singles really until a, probably about now. I thought he might give it a go at a couple of challenges or something. If we think back to six months ago, this is what I was thinking. 
Yeah, and I was a bit concerned because Kyle's had a bit of a rough year. The only one you got, Dan and Cam have been doing quite well, but you look at the calibre, the standard that's going to be at Davis Cup, we didn't think we'd be able to rely on them. So I was thinking, okay, this is not going to go well for us. Now I'm like, oh, we're going to win the whole thing. This is amazing. <laughs> I have to say, thinking about Andy Murray, when, and this is going back to Shanghai and his match with Fabio Fellini. Um, last week I went with the boys, I went back to tennis with them. And their tennis coach said, have you been working on Shanghai? And I thought, uh, yes, that's a little bit weird. Uh, yes, I have. And he said, did you do the Murray-Fanini match? And before I had a chance to answer, and I was working on radio, but I didn't do the Murray-Fanini match. Before I had a chance to answer, he said, I, I listened to you commentate. And I was thinking, no, you didn't, because I definitely wasn't on that match. He said, yeah, I, I heard you commentate on the Murray-Fanini match. So I was thinking, I think, <laughs> I think I know who that might have been. Aww. So I think... He thinks you were me come to... I mean, I didn't. I didn't. He, he seemed so excited that I didn't say anything. I just sort of... I just nodded. So I didn't sort of deny. I just went, yeah. Yeah, good match. Great match. Yeah, it does happen all the time, doesn't it? In terms of getting confused for other people. <laughs> but it was a great match. I very much enjoyed it. Something I came across, and I don't think you'd seen it, or had you seen it, and I sent it to you. And I just, I couldn't believe that I'd seen it. Now it comes to the, in the WTA, when the coaches come on court. Oh God. And, and you know where I'm headed now. So they, they are, they are mic'd up. Whether some forget they're mic'd up, whether some say things because they know they're mic'd up and whether some don't care. I'm sure there is, there is a mixture of, of all of these, but it was the coach of, <laughs> it was the coach of Masaki Doi who was trying to get, I did. How would you like to run through the little coaching chat between coach and pupil? Well, um, it didn't go well, is all I can say. She ended up getting a, taking a fine for it because your coach on court is your responsibility, essentially. So what they wear, what they do, what they say, that's all your responsibility as a player. So, um, yeah, poor Masaki Doi <laughs> ended up with a, <laughs> with a significant fine. Well... I don't know. He was just a bit inappropriate and a bit unnecessary, wasn't he? And I didn't understand it on a number of levels. I think he got it wrong a lot. He basically, he came on court. She was playing against Yulia Gerges and he came on court chatting to Misaki Doi, who was struggling to return Gerges' serve, as, do you know what? Almost everyone in the world would. So she was hitting a lot of aces and he said, you know, he didn't start it with don't worry. He just kind of, that was the, the general uh, feel of it, though. He said... Well, it's just like playing Karlovich with big boobs, which was uh, an interesting thing to say. And I, he looked at Misaki <laughs> as in kind of like, OK, now you laugh. And she just looked at him like, what on earth are you talking about? I'm not sure whether she fully understood what he was saying or if she just thought now is not the time <laughs> or what. But I think he was just trying to make her laugh. I think that was the thing. Was he trying to relax her? Was he trying just to, to ease the tension and just to make her smile and just try and change things a bit? I'm sure that's what he was trying to do, but it was horrifically <laughs> inappropriate <laughs> to do <laughs> in the middle of a match. It was inappropriate for his player who's... Because also, right, so he's saying, oh, it's just like playing Karlovich with boobs 
But is that him making the assumption that Misaki Doi knows how to play Karlovich? That's ridiculous. Because then you should be sitting there being like, okay, well then how do I play Karlovich? Like it's totally irrelevant on so many levels. It's not like she's beaten Karlovich before and he's like, <laughs> you know how to beat Karlovich. Just do the same thing. Like it's it's such an absurd thing to say. Like it doesn't make any sense. So in terms of it being a joke, it missed the mark. In terms of it being any form of reasonable or acceptable coaching, it was shockingly bad. And then on top of that, you've got Yulia Gerges to think about. And it's pretty out of order because what happens when you, when you say something like that, you've just got to think about, well, then what is everybody thinking about in the room? And, and, that, and that's why it's, it's horrendously inappropriate. You can't do it at work. You can't really, you shouldn't really do it anywhere. But the, the court is the workplace and it's right that there was some sort of a reprimand for it. Uh, but I just feel a bit bad that it's Misaki Doi who, who takes the fine for it because she, she didn't know what was going on. It was one of those moments when you, I saw it on social media and then you, you play it again. And you think, no, I probably heard that wrong. So I'm just going to play it one more time. And then it sinks in. You're thinking, okay, so, so he did say that. And then, then you look at Masaki Doi's face, who's kind of almost thinking the same thing. Did he say that? No, he can't have said that. And as you say, so she loses the match. She goes off court and they say, by the way, we're going to fine you for what your coach said. And you're kind of like, I'm not sure this day could get a lot worse. Yeah, and we should say that the coach is Christian Zahalka. Uh, that's his coach because we've said Misaki's name a lot and I feel like this is not so fair on her because she really didn't have much to do with it apart from wishing she never called her coach on in the first place (laughs) next time she'll be like no don't come on it's fine I've got this you don't need to come on court I just think it's amazing that in one comment he could tick all of those boxes of terrible coaching terrible joke and being just completely inappropriate in the workplace <laughs> it's like there's no there are no other boxes you can tick that's that's it because he didn't even get a smile from her i mean at least if he walked off said well i you know i i lightened the mood and she smiled a little bit however inappropriate but he didn't even get that he just got a shocked looking misaki doi and there was sort of like like the tumbleweed moment wasn't there and he was like right what do we say now okay Enjoy the rest of the match. <laughs> yeah, there have been some great on-court coaching moments, I think, just in general. I mean, the Sabalenka Terznov one where he just didn't speak to her was very entertaining. And he, she said, are you going to support me? And he said, no. And then walked off the court, <laughs> which was, uh, yeah. At the time, it was concerning. We can laugh about it now because they've sorted things out and they're, they're all fine. But at the time, we were kind of like, mm, this isn't great in terms of his coach-player relationships go. Um, and then you get some interesting ones between coaches and parents particularly uh, and then we've got next gen coming up remember the Sitsipas absolute freak out at Apostolos when he had on-court coaching via the headset well the headset was no more it was absolutely demolished destroyed in com- loads of tiny pieces and then on the next change events, he picked it up and tried to speak to Apostolos and it was just dangling. It was missing a whole earpiece. <laughs> it was everything. So he didn't really take well to the uh, the on-court coaching either. But I think in terms of it being entertaining, it is... I, I, I love it. Well, I was going to say, I can't remember. Are you a fan of it? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. I think my stance on this changes. But <laughs> <laughs> after this, I'm a fan of it. <laughs> But if you were, maybe it's different. Working in the media from a professional point of view, you love it because it is entertaining. And as long as you can understand the language that's being spoken, sometimes you learn a few things. But as a player, 
would you have used it? Would you be one of those people bringing the coach on and, and wanting them to give you a, a rousing speech if you're in a difficult situation? Well, I did use it. Uh, I caught the first couple of years of it coming in. And I had one time where my coach wasn't allowed on the court because he wasn't wearing tennis kit. To be fair, he was in jeans and flip-flops. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I looked at the umpires in to, to call my coach on and he went, no, have you seen him? <laughs> I, thought, I didn't realise. I was like, I didn't know they had to wear a tennis kit. But this is like the very, very beginning. Because, you know, if he would normally sit... Yeah, if you'd sit watching in jeans, like, you know, football managers, some are in a tracksuit, some are in a suit, weirdly. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think on-court coaching, I I am a fan of it, but I really like that the slams don't have it. I like that there's a difference uh, because it is a unique selling point in tennis that there's no coaching allowed. I think that is, well, it's, it's, it's incredibly unique. I can't think of another sport where that is the case to be honest there are some where physically it's not possible like if you do the luge it's very difficult for your coach <laughs> to get information to you as you are luging I love that's your example <laughs> I love your example is the luge of all the sports in the world I would have picked I'm not sure luge would have been top 10 <laughs> so if you're doing the luge no one can really get information across to you can they they can't you know he can't run fast enough <laughs> to be shouting things where did that come from where did the luge come know. from i don't know it just came to me <laughs> but um you just can't get anything across but, but it's not written in the rules that you're not allowed to coach i think uh, again i think but like something like swimming same sort of thing you have people shouting at the swimmers all the time but they can only hear when their ear comes above water, which is not very often. <laughs> You've got to time it really well, haven't you? <laughs> and also, it's just, it's really loud. The whole crowd is shouting. I mean, how on earth are you hearing your coach? And then in rowing, you've got coaches. Remember, they get on the bikes, don't they? And they cycle alongside and uh, they're shouting things uh, and whatever. So as in, just in almost every sport, you are allowed to coach. It's just in some sports, it's more difficult than others. Like the luge. <laughs> yes, like like the luge. <laughs> I just I just said sometimes a lot of the time I just can't follow your logic I just I just can't I can't follow the the thought patterns and that one I've just come to a dead end well I, look I could lay, name more sports where it's very difficult to be coached in the middle of it but tennis weirdly is very easy for coaching there's almost there are purposeful breaks for coaching like in boxing you know, at the end of every round you sit down and have a chat with your coach uh, and you get told to breathe and calm down and focus and you do it really well. Now, don't get punched in the face. So it, it, and it follows a similar rhythm, doesn't it? Where you have that those breaks and you sit there. And a lot of the time, especially if it's Federer playing or something, they've been out on court for about a minute and a half. And then they sit down for a minute and a half. <laughs> and I always find it hilarious when Fed's just sat there and you're just like, why are we sitting down here? This is, <laughs> this is really quick. But anyway, but they are sat down and it's almost like they are sitting down for like a boxing sort of rub down and coaching session. And then it never comes. Um, so yeah, as I say, a bit strange that it's the sport that probably lends itself really well to coaching, but we don't have any apart from on the women's. Sean got in touch on Twitter and wants to know how the cake sale went. Remember last week, I didn't know whether to pass off the bought cakes as my own or just leave them in the box. Right. And off we go. I was a little bit late in the morning getting myself and the two boys together and then charging towards school. Um, so what I did is I got there 
and I went into the office and I just, oh, these are for the cake sale. And I didn't have time to put them on a plate. So they were in the box from the shop. I just, I thought about it and I just thought I'm just going to pop them in because it's my donation. I thought there's, and I wasn't able to go to the sale, but I know everything went. So I think the sale was a success and I probably was enhanced by the fact that I bought the cakes rather than made them. Although apparently my youngest was telling everyone because they, they were at school. So they were pointing to the cakes and, and one of them said, my mummy didn't make these. Uh, <laughs> I was like, not helping. Well, that <laughs> solved the problem of last week's. Do you say whether you made them or not? Well, there you go. Your kids did it for you. Can you imagine if I had said that I'd made them and I'd spent hours and then there's my youngest walking around going, mummy didn't make these. She bought these. <laughs> I would have been. Yeah, kids are annoying like that, aren't they? Something I was wondering, I'm this week working on Vienna and Basel, the ATP 500 tournaments. And there's a lot of talk about, for some players, there's still a lot to play for. There's London, the Tour Finals. There's the Next Gen Finals of Milan. For some, they might still be, like a Kyle Edmund or Cameron Norrie, trying to get that fifth spot in Great Britain's Davis Cup team because not all of the teams have announced or confirmed all five players. But I was wondering, so okay, so you've got something to play for. It's been a long season. It's fine. It's great. You push on through. But what's it like at this stage of the season if you don't really have anything to play for? So your ranking's not really going to move and there's not really anything. Is it a real trudge and a real struggle? Or are you thinking about the beach that's coming closer and, I don't know, eating what you want to do for a couple of, whatever you want for a couple of weeks? Well, it, it kind of goes one or two ways. I mean, if I'm being really honest, it's tough for a lot of players post US Open, I think. Um, definitely the, the the women that go on the Asian swing, although that has kind of grown and grown and there are some huge tournaments, of course, for the women. I mean, there are big tournaments as well. There's a couple of massive events for the, for the men at this time of year. But look, the fact is we always get kind of different winners in Paris because people are tired, people are injured, people have already qualified for London, people have finished their year, wrapping up their year early. I mean, we've just had Kane Ishikuri confirming he's wrapping up his year early. There are normally quite a few of those and it's a quick surface and, and that sort of thing. So it's, um, you know, it, it's not easy. It's a very long season. We say it a lot, but again, if I compare it to other sports, although I don't know the, uh, the length of the season of the luge. <laughs> Which is disappointing. I imagine it's during the winter months. <laughs> I've just had a guess. <laughs> well, most sports have a season. So I think it's hilarious because I, when I was a player, I never used to call it a season. I just call it the year. It's kind of, I, I suppose you'd call it the clay court season or the indoor season. But still, like, you know, we just play. For, it's just 11 months. I remember I interviewed Donna Vekic uh, once at the uh, Wimbledon player party. This is a good couple of years ago. And I just said something like, what are you looking forward to uh, in the, the rest of the year or whatever. Uh, and she was talking about the US Open. And then she said after that, quite quite clearly, she said, well, then it's the Asian swing, which nobody wants to do, but we all have to. So, wow, okay. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> okay. Uh, she's like, yep, so I'll go there. Um, but anyway, now fast forward a couple of years later and her Asian swing has been... Uh, I mean, this year it's been very important because she qualified for Zhuhai so she's out there playing now yeah and in a couple of weeks well a little bit more than a couple of weeks we're going to start getting all the the Maldives photos <laughs> when you just see oh, yeah. that's when you need to stay off Instagram because all you see are tennis players on amazing islands largely in the Maldives and you think 
Oh, that looks really nice. Someone I want to speak about before I go, because I'm going to be seeing him in action later today, is Yannick Sinner. And interestingly, it was, wasn't it the other day when I was messaging you and saying, oh, there's someone we need to talk about. You said, we've got to talk about Yannick Sinner. And I'd literally just written that because he's a name that to some people listening to this that might not follow tennis amazingly closely might think, well, I haven't heard of that name, but he is a young guy, Italian, redhead, fiery, excellent player. And he's a lot of fun to watch already. I mean, he's so good. Um, he's just incredible because he looks like a boy. But then, I mean, Alex de Menor looked like that about a year ago as well. And uh, yeah, he he just thumps it pretty flat. It's pretty good, pretty athletic, very tall, everything you're kind of looking for in a player. He's doing incredibly well now um, in the top 100, 18 years old, only just 18 years old. And has done just extraordinarily well. Made the semis in Antwerp. And yeah, a lot of fun. Seems like a really nice kid. But if you just look at how he's done it, if there are any tennis parents around or people who know tennis parents, barely played any juniors. He played a few. His career high ranking as a junior was 133. Now, he's still 18. still qualifies for junior tournaments. And he's top 100 in ATP. So... It just shows that you don't have to do, uh, you don't have to commit to the juniors. Why do you look confused? So I was just wondering, if you say you don't have to commit to the juniors, then how do you get, so, so what is the route you take to get the matches and to get the competition? Or are you saying you don't necessarily need that? And if you're good enough, you can transition without playing that much junior tennis? Well, junior serves a purpose, um, definitely. But people get very lost in the rankings in juniors thinking that if you're number one in the world then you're definitely going to be a professional player and I can list multiple number ones in the world that couldn't even break through 500 uh, at the senior level so it, it doesn't mean that it's about how you're using juniors and of course getting the opportunity to play grand slams is a big deal but he decided not to but the Italian structure I'm going to say 10 years ago it probably wasn't 10 years ago but roughly they um <laughs> here we go <laughs> sorry <laughs> they changed uh, their structure so that, so the uh, Italian Federation took all of their money that they have and they basically put it into putting on lots of tournaments so if you look at the schedule the, the amount of 15Ks 25s so satellites and challenges for the men and 15s 25s for the women they just have loads through the year and it just tours around Italy and you can just play. So Yannick Sinner just saw that. And whenever, when he was old enough to play, he just went and played, got his butt kicked by somebody bigger and stronger. And when I say old enough, I can't remember when, how old he was when he played his first one, but it would probably be about, be about 14. Um, I know in the women's, you're only allowed to play from the age of 14. He's barely had to travel. Probably, I would say in terms of a journey to the top 100, he's probably one of the players I would imagine who spent the least amount of money because he just didn't really travel that much because he just traveled in and around Italy which is where he's from so doing it that way having that sort of structure because federations choose how they spend their money and these tournaments cost a lot of money to put on a $15,000 event it's going to cost you $30,000 it's always double whatever the prize money is it's double at the uh, ITF level I'm not talking about the tour events that's different so it costs an awful lot of money to put on kind of 30 tournaments for the men 30 tournaments for the women but that's how they chose to do it and it's been really effective because not only have 
they got a huge pool of players. And yes, Yannick Sinner is excellent, but they also have loads of other top juniors as well doing really, really well. They get loads of experience. They don't have to spend much money. They can just get out there and get stuck in. Also, it's hugely valuable in coach education and standard awareness because these tournaments tour around the country and it means that every club coach or performance coach around the country has the opportunity to just go and watch that standard because it's just there it, they, it just comes to their center or it's at a local center and they can go and watch so the coaches improve which knocks which has a knock-on effect to the players and the players get to get out there it's a fantastic system but it takes a lot of patience because it's taken the best part of a decade for it to come to fruition but I tell you what I bet they're feeling pretty smug right now with Yannick Sinner as uh, oh well, this has come to fruition quite well, hasn't it? If we've got Yannick doing well. Yeah, and it's incredible. And he's been given the wild card into the next-gen finals. There has been a playoff with the, the best Italian players, but at the moment he is the best at the under-21 and under, so he's going to be taking part. You're going to be in Milan for that tournament. That's going to be that's going to be great. There's a couple of spaces left to sort out. Um, I'm going to have to go soon. I was, I was trying to think of a way of not saying that. Yeah. Well, do, do you know what? You don't have to worry about it this week because I've got to go as well. Have you got to go? Because I'm doing Vienna and Basel, as I mentioned, but also I've got, I'm under pressure to find Halloween costumes. Ah. Um, yeah, not for, not for me, I might add. But one of the boys, I thought we could avoid it and not dress up, but one wants to be a dragon. Nice. Is that Halloween-y? Is that halloween I'm not even sure. Do what you want. One wants to be a pumpkin. Okay. And when I say a pumpkin, he wants... He wants to be a pumpkin. He doesn't just want to wear orange. He wants to wear like a pumpkin. Well, that's very Halloween-y. That makes up for the dragon. Yeah, but go. I don't know. How do, you, how do you find a pumpkin? So I've got to try and find... <laughs> got to try and... Oh, got to try and find a pumpkin and a dragon before Vienna and Basel start. Right. Never stops. Okay. <laughs> never stops. It never, never stops. I can't wait to see what you, you come up with. Really, you should be making them from scratch, right? No, I, I knew that was coming <laughs> and not making a pumpkin. There are super mums out there that stitch and knit and sew and all this, which is incredible. And I would love to do a bit more of that. But I do not know. Where would I start with a pumpkin? I don't know. I think you should make it. Go and make a pumpkin. I don't want to embarrass the poor fella. It's just orange and round. Just do that. It's just orange and round. You make me a pumpkin. You can draw me a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> you, you draw the design after your art course. And so, yes, I'm, I'm off to find a pumpkin and a dragon before Vienna and Basel get going and also if someone is listening that is an expert in the luge i still don't know where that came from just just give us a few luge facts <laughs> <laughs> i'm not relying on naomi for any luge facts if there is someone out there um you can get in touch with us on twitter or on instagram about some about some luge stuff that was really okay. random right i've got to go go and make a pumpkin <laughs> go make a pumpkin bye, bye. <laughs>